So today I'm calling this message, The Cross is Powerful Message. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're able to stand, please stand with me. We get to open up this book together. In the name of Jesus. Praise Him, amen? Praise Him, praise Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. So Lord, we ask for you to please open up our understanding of this holy book. Thank you, Lord, that you had someone like our friend, our brother, the apostle Paul, where he went to this area, spent some time there, planted this church fellowship, made disciples, and is now writing this letter, as well as the next one, writes this to the Christians there. And we know, God, because it's your word of truth that these principles apply not just for the Christians in Corinth, but also for us today in 2024. Your word stands forever. So please open up this book for our understanding and application. Help us, and Father, we know that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Please comfort each and every one of our hearts. Encourage us, we ask, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So today, we start off our journey, we kick off our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, the glorious book of 1 Corinthians. This book is going to teach us many doctrines. Real quick overview, real simple. Basically, chapters 1 through 11, we're going to see some carnal issues that God's going to address the church through Paul's pen. And then in chapters 12 through 16, we're going to see a bunch of spiritual issues. So the carnal issues are dealt with first. And then chapters 12 through 16, we'll discuss spiritual issues. Some of you guys know that, especially you servants in this church, we discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 12 quite a bit. What's the topic, the main topic in chapter 12? Spiritual gifts. Okay, God does not want us to be ignorant. So we'll get to that when we do. But as you and I begin this book, go to the book and take a look. As we begin this book, we start off here where Paul is telling us, first off, his name. What's his name? Paul. Paul means small or little. Now this is the way that you would open up a letter back then you would open up by first addressing who is the writer. Today, it's kind of the opposite. Dear Corinthians, you might write. A little different, a little opposite today. But back then, in this time, you would open up a book by telling us who you are. So the letter opens up. The writer, who is Paul, gives us his name. And notice he says here, called to be an apostle. So first he gives us his name and then his calling. We've been talking about calling quite a bit, haven't we? past couple weeks, right? God has called you, just like he's called Paul to be an apostle. Figure it out for yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, called to be, and then fill in the blank. We'll get to that in a bit. So Paul opens up this letter, telling us his name, and also his calling. He's called to be an apostle. Notice it says, of what? Of who? Of Jesus Christ. Your calling. I do want to say your calling and your spiritual gifting will not only help you to be identified, but also somewhat becomes your identity. One of the things you will realize as you read Paul's 13 letters is he pretty much opens up every letter. Most of them, he tells us not only his name, 
But most of them, he tells us that he's called to be an apostle. We'll get to that in just a bit as well. Let me give you an example. How your spiritual gifting and your calling somewhat identifies you. Remember as we went through the book of Acts, there was a guy who was nicknamed Son of Encouragement. What was his name? Barnabas. Barnabas. That was not his real name. But he sort of epitomizes this spiritual gift that we call the gift of encouragement or gift of exhortation. I imagine that guy just this this big, lovable, come here, give me a hug kind of a guy. Just very encouraging. Encouraging for the Apostle Paul as well as many others. So much so that they nicknamed him. We're going to call you Barnabas, dude, because you are a son of encouragement. You're such an encourager. So they actually called him that. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Now this word apostle, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. Paul is called to be an apostle. Apostle, you can look this up in the Bible dictionary. It is literally, quote, one sent forth with orders, end quote. Now, how many main apostles were there in the Bible? Twelve. Only twelve. Only twelve. The twelve apostles, they were all martyred, weren't they? Except for John. He lived and died at like a ripe old age. Uh, He was sent over to this island. What was that island called? Patmos, where he kind of got his vision for revelation. Didn't work. They wanted to kill this guy. Reportedly dipped him in hot oil. Didn't work. Threw him on the island of Patmos. Hey, now I get fellowship time with Jesus. And what happened? The Lord gave him this awesome vision. We call it the book of Revelation. The only all future prophecy book in the entire New Testament. Primarily future prophecy. But there were 12 apostles. They were all martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're in chapter 1, turn to chapter 4. Turn a page or two. Paul's going to tell you about apostles. Forget what the world or even worldly or ungodly church is. I hate to use that term church because some of them are not actually churches. The church is the pillar and ground of what? The truth. We need to be people of truth, preaching the word of truth, walking out the word of truth. Amen? That is what it should be. So Paul tells us in this same book, called to be an apostle, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, For I think that God has displayed us the what? Apostles, speaking of himself inclusive too, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. God's put us on display, is what he's saying. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as a filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Was an apostle? Basically, there you go. That's a pretty good definition. That's not all inclusive. There's more. But be careful because today, are there people today? New York City and around the world, especially here in America, that claim to be, quote, apostles. Yes. Guess what? They are false apostles. How do you know that, Drew? Well, good question. Look forward into the future. Here's what Jesus 
the only one that can give someone a calling. Here's what he says at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. This is Jesus when he describes the future New Jerusalem. He says in Revelation 21, verse 14, quote, Now the wall of the city had 12. How many foundations? 12 foundations. And on them were the, what? The names of the, how many apostles? 12 apostles of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Yeshua, Jesus, right? The Messiah. So there are people today that claim to be apostles. They can give themselves a title, maybe self-appointed, man-appointed. Maybe people are like, oh, you're a good-looking tall dude. Yes, we vote for you. Politics, but not apostles. They need to be called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. So Paul actually opens up his book this way. Let's go back to chapter 1 again. So again, I need to, as we get to this, just like we did in previous books, I need to declare, I need to be a preacher of God's word of truth. Amen? Be careful. Beware. There are many today who falsely call themselves, quote, apostles. I remember hearing some guy say, there are people today that call themselves apostles. Maybe they're be-apostles, but not apostles. Okay? And they try to put themselves on par with the 12 apostles. I just showed you what Jesus himself says. Way into the future called New Jerusalem. When this earth passes away, because there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And there's 12 apostles. I don't know about you, but I think my God can count. There's 12. Okay, So beware, because even Jesus describes that there's only 12. Here's, on this topic, I don't want to just fast forward. Here's where the website got questions. You can go to their website. I did a snapshot of it. Recently, here's what their website says. The Got Questions website says about a new wave of false apostles. This has infected American Christianity, the American church. There's a group that we might call, in apologetics, we call them the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR. It's an unbiblical, this is their words, an unbiblical religious movement that emphasizes experience over scripture. I feel it. You might hear people say, right? Emotionalism. Be careful. Experience over scripture, mysticism over doctrine, and modern day apostles. They say, quote, end quote, over the plain text of the Bible. Of particular distinction in the new apostolic reformation are the role and power of spiritual leaders and miracle workers. The reception of new revelations from God. Not just God spoke to me or God's convicting my heart one way or the other, but that their word is on par with the Bible, if not more. That's basically what it comes down to. And because people aren't reading the Bible, they don't know the difference. So you and I must be warned, and we must preach this. Reception of new revelations from God, an overemphasis of spiritual warfare, and a pursuit of cultural and political control in society. The seeking of signs and wonders in the NAR is always accompanied by blatantly false doctrine. I didn't write that. That's, again, on the Got Questions website. Now, you may have heard of this. Popular with this movement is something called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Who here has heard of that? Seven Mountain Mandate, right? Uh, we talked about it before, a group that I used to be part of, deeply invested in, spent a lot of money and time with, and I'm like, oh, good Lord, I've got to get away from these guys. Why? Into radical false doctrine and heresy. Got to be careful. You'll hear about that. They want to influence and control these seven mountains. They want, some might say seven pillars, seven mountains. Popularly called the Seven Mountain Mandate. It's all over Facebook. A bunch of my Christian friends are like, oh, conquer this mountain. Careful. 
Here's the seven mountains they call them. Government, arts, finances, education, religion, family, and media. Is that biblical? No. And they want to usher in is dominionism. Okay, take dominion, take control. Lost through Adam and Eve. Usher in the kingdom. When we make things right, then Jesus is going to come back. Is that going to happen? Uh-uh. Not. Not happening. Not according to God. So they want to exalt their thoughts, their, really their religion, their doctrine over the Bible itself. Be very, very careful. I'm friends with a lot of folks that are into this. Like, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Please understand, you're not better than Jesus, and you're not an apostle. Okay? And I'm, as I say this, and even being recorded, there's going to be some haters. Pray for me. Pray for us. Because the church is the pillar and ground of what? The truth. Not your truth. Not their truth. God's word of truth. Amen? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. The Spirit of God is the spirit of truth. Jesus even said, thy word is truth. Lift up your sword, church. This is the word of truth. This is your final authority. Okay? Not me, not what I say, what God says. Amen? And this is what we need to exalt and teach and preach. Okay? And that's the final authority. All right, continuing on. There's a lot more I can say about that. Just, let's just read and study our Bibles. But as we get upon this topic of Paul declaring his apostleship, realize that we live in a day and age when you compare Paul and the 12 apostles. And they all, they all had just this radical serving. They're church planters, missionaries, going about from place to place. They were all killed and tortured just so that you and I and the generations afterwards could receive salvation through Jesus Christ. They went out declaring the word of truth. But they were killed, just like their Lord Jesus whom they followed. So be careful about those today that call themselves apostles. Compare it to the Bible, and you realize, as God commands, doesn't ask, commands you to test all things, you realize, mm, they don't pass the test. Be very careful. Okay? So, continuing on here in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul now he tells us who he's doing this work for. It's, quote, of Jesus Christ. That's important to know, too. Paul called to be an apostle. He says, of Jesus Christ. This is who Paul does his work for. He's not doing it even for the Corinthians. He's not doing it even for other apostles. Definitely not for himself. Now, I can only guess that many false apostles today might be declaring their own apostleship, and it's not of Jesus Christ, but who do you think it's of? Self. Some may go as far as say it's of the devil because they're exalting their word, their own opinion above God's word. You've got to be careful. Okay, and what else? So he tells us how he was called. So you are called by the Lord. You work for Jesus Christ. It's of Jesus Christ. And how were you called? It's through the will of God. Now, this is extremely important. Praise God, we've been already preaching on this the last three Sundays in that mini-series we have. We call Vision at the Cross. We looked at Ephesians 2, verse 10. You are His workmanship, not your workmanship. His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For if, if you're born again, that's why He got you saved. It's for good works. For Paul, it was doing the good works of being an apostle. Make sense? He did not call himself. Think how weird that would be. Today's society, we have phones, right? Imagine you make a phone call to yourself. Hi, is Drew there? Yes, this is Drew. Well, I have a calling for you. Oh, really? I feel so special. Yes. 
Let me boost up your pride. I think you're an apostle. I think you're a prophet, whatever. Oh, yes, I feel so good. Self-affirmation is always good. I mean, I get, sorry, I'm joking about that, but the reality is the one who calls you and how he calls you, it's through the will of God. Okay? And I've got to be careful on this. This kind of gets me riled up. I'm like, no, we are called only through the will of God. Paul, as well as yourself and myself today, when we look at our calling, it can only be, quote, through the will of God. Amen? That's important. In my short time walking with the Lord, serving Him, I've discovered that there's a lot of people that they want to be self-called. Why? Because it boosts up my ego. I have a damaged ego, so I love to be heard. I like telling people what to do. There's people like that out there. They're damaged, occupying pulpits, and they have a psychological need to be heard and to be listened to. We've got to be careful of that. Okay? If that's you, or even me, we've got to be healed. So, in order to have a calling, think of how logical and sensical, if that makes sense, that is. If you have a calling, someone has to call you, right? Someone has to call you. A person cannot be self-called. There's a lot of people, I think, occupying pulpits that they're preaching this morning even across the world that are self-called. A committee of men cannot call us, can they? Who is the only one that can call you? God. Okay. So this is through the will of God. Each person must be only called by God, and it's through the will of God. That's how it was for Paul the Apostle. Good Lord, praise God that he didn't say, Paul, called to be an apostle of myself through my own will. Why? Because I deserve it. Now, that's where you and I would close the book. We should. But we've got to be careful, because I think that's occupying some pulpits around the world today. So it was through the will of God. Paul had his, had his calling through the will of God, and your calling, as well as mine, must be something that is chosen by God because it's given by God to you. He calls you, you and I, just like a phone call. We just answer it. He's the one that calls you, amen? And you're the one that answers the call. You are the respondent. He's the initiator. By the way, one way to examine a person's calling, we're told to test all things. The book of 1 Thessalonians. One way you could test and examine it, do you see fruit? Look at the fruit. I remember learning this from Pastor Bob Hochja. Follow the fruit. The things that are undeniably the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit empowers and like living water flows through a person and touches hearts and lives. Jesus calls us to bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So when you say real fruit, when you see supernatural fruit that's undeniably from the Lord, look at that. Because God is speaking to you as you do like Jesus said, let your light so shine before the world. As you see your good works, may glorify your Father in heaven. So look at the fruit. Is there spiritual fruit, or do you see a, just a person's pride? That's bad fruit, right? So that's one way we can examine it. And also for a person, can they back up their calling with just the Bible? That's important to know, because there's a lot of people, I've even talked to some of them, some of them get so mad, they I'm going to take my Bible and leave. They tell me that something's of God, and I tell them, oh, can you prove that with just your Bible? They give all these excuses, but don't say it's God's will. 
if you can't back it up with the word. Make sense? You think I should be able to have to say that? Yes, we all should. All scripture is given by God. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. If you want to prove something, guess what you got to use? All scripture. That's a command. You and I must use scripture. So can you observe a person's calling where God is going to follow it up with lasting spiritual fruit? Paul was able to say that to the Corinthians. He went there and spent a year and a half there. People got saved. The church got planted. It's like, you're proof of my apostleship, is what he writes in the scriptures. You look at these things, and are we able to see fruit? We should see that from the result of our ministry. Here's what it says in the scriptures again. This word for will, you see here on the display. This is just my Bible study software. I did a little screenshot here. This word for will, thelema, circled here. One of the dictionary definitions in Thayer's. It's of what God wishes to be done by us. I mean, that makes sense, right? But a lot of people don't think about that. They just think, oh, the will of God, how do I know? If it feels good, do it, is what the world says, right? Spiritual warfare, don't feel good, (laughs) right? Obeying God, taking up my cross daily. Denying self, taking up my cross daily and following Jesus, it don't feel good. Did the Roman iron nails feel good to the flesh of Jesus? How about the whip? How about the crown of thorns? Did it feel good? A lot of us today, that's, that's living life in Adam, isn't it? Where we might base our decisions not upon the will of God, but self-will. Be careful. So Greek dictionary says this about the word for will, of what God wishes to be done by us. So Paul knew his calling to be an apostle was through the will of God. God, this is your desire. This is what you want. Think about that. This is the guy that we learned as we went through the book of Acts. He jumps on a ship. It sinks. What would you do? I know how my heart would be. Pray for me. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, don't you know? <laughs> that happened to him a couple times. Why? Because of following the will of God. Think about how that might be. Like, oh, I dare not call myself an apostle today. So Paul's calling was not a self-called thing. It was not self-will. Paul was not self-appointed. He was appointed by God. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it was through the will of God. Paul's calling was not man's will. Paul wasn't man-appointed, not self-appointed, not committee-appointed. Now, that might sound funny today in Calvary Chapel, but do you know that there's a lot of denominations that that's exactly how they vote? They'll vote for biblical morality issues instead of looking at the Bible and saying, God says it, there's no voting needed. I don't care if it's me standing against everybody in the world or the president or politicians say, well, you're going to go to jail. Like, oh, give me a prison ministry. That's the reality. <laughs> that, that is reality. That God says it, we just need to believe it. The grass withers, that's us as people, we wither away. The flower fades, that's all the beauty of the worldliness, the flesh. But the word of our God stands forever. Will you stand for God's word? If not, you're already fallen. You must stand for righteousness and for the word of truth. Amen? We need to. Especially in this day and age. We move further into 2024. Things are getting worse and worse around the world. And you guys realize that? Right? Wars and rumors of wars. We're seeing that more and more. Okay, so Paul's calling was not man's will. He wasn't man appointed. 
It wasn't committee appointed. They didn't gather all the apostles and, and others like we do see today in, in church leadership and voting. Let's, let's get all these people together and vote. So it wasn't that he was elected to his position by being popular like a politician. You know, that's how some churches and groups will choose who's going to be leading and speaking. It's not an anointing, it's an appointing. Does that make sense? We must be anointed by the Lord, amen? Not appointed by man. He wasn't just a smooth-talking, gifted orator. In fact, he writes in, in one of his letters that the people were making fun of him because he was not just, he was right strong, but his appearance, his words, they weren't all that weighty. So we know that he probably wasn't just a smooth-talking, gifted orator. Great and brilliant man. Smart. He was gifted also in preaching, but we don't pick that way. He was anointed and appointed by God. His calling had nothing to do with people liking him. In fact, there's many Jews that would chase him around and want to kill him, right? But it was solely through the will of God. It wasn't man's doing, but a calling from God must begin with God. God has a calling for your life. You've been hearing me mention this is now the fourth Sunday in the world. God has a calling for your life. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. He's waiting for you to walk in them. Before he created planet Earth, yep, Ephesians 2, verse 10. It exists and emanates from God. He's got your life already mapped out. Do not let the devil or even society or fallen churches or fallen preachers dictate to you and want to get in the way of your Heavenly Father because your Father loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you to hear from Him. And He wants you to discover and walk in His calling. Amen. you got to guard that. Again, Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship. You're God's work of art. You are a work in progress. Praise God, who I am now wasn't who I used to be. Because I was just a trash-talking, potty-mouthed, filthy person. And God came into my life and cleaned things up. He's still cleaning me up. And I'm, my guess is he's doing that with you too, amen? You don't clean up your life, then come to Christ. You come to Christ and he cleans you up, right? That's what he does. So you are a work in progress. You are his poem, and that's the word, again, for workmanship. You're his poem, his poetry. You're his work of art. You're his masterpiece. These are synonymous with that word. There are different ways you could translate that. You are created in Christ Jesus, and it's for good work. For Paul, he understood as he's writing this that he had to accept this calling. I'm sure he struggled with it just like how I did with mine. He's got to wrestle with that with God and allow him, as you surrender to the work of his spirit, allow him to conform you more and more to be like Jesus. Amen. And so because Jesus is perfect, and we ain't, <laughs> we're still a work in progress. Amen? He's doing that work. Allow him to continue. So we've been teaching this now, not just these past Sundays, but for years now, as seen in Ephesians 2, verse 10. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. For Paul, who's created in Christ Jesus, even though he started off being a murderer of Christians, when he got saved, and the recreation of who he would be created in Christ Jesus. And it was for good works that he would be an apostle now. 
writing this letter, not just for the Corinthian Christians, but for you and I to be blessed with. So simply put, the calling of God, it emanates from God, and it was prepared beforehand, thus created by God before the beginning of time as you and I see it and know it, before Genesis 1-1. When you and I start off the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before God created the heavens and the earth, he had a calling for you. He had to get you saved. And now that you're saved, you're in Christ Jesus, you're created in Christ Jesus. What's my life for? Is the heart's cry. What do I do? I've been alive now as a Christian for some months or years. Why don't you just kill me and take me home? This, this life in this fallen world stinks. It's getting worse and worse. Just like Jesus said it would. Ah, but he's got a mission for you. And until that mission is fulfilled, he wants you to discover and do or walk in his calling. Amen? That's it. That's why he brought you here, is to get disciples, to realize you've got a calling, and it comes from God. It does not come from me. It does not come from 7 billion people that are right now alive on the planet. It emanates from God. He already thought it out before he created planet Earth before the galaxies, before the planets. There's supposedly billions of stars and planets before he created all that. God cannot learn. He had something in store for you. And only you could answer that calling, just like Paul knew. Only I could understand and accept this calling. You either accept it or you reject it and run away. That's it with God. So when you study Paul's life and his godly character, we get to see a wonderful picture of both who he was before answering his calling, because he was a Christian killer, to now be someone like, can God use a murderer like him? Remember when I shared with you our friend and brother, David Berkowitz? Oh, someone that's convicted in, in an upstate prison, serving time, as we say, for five murders. Think about that. Five life, if someone's spending 25 years in prison, that's a lifetime sentence. Multiply that by five. Wow. So he knows he's not getting out. And he's, to the best of my knowledge, of every human being alive right now, the ones especially that I have met, shook hands with, and can make sure as I test all things, that he's actually a born-again spiritual Christian. To the best of my knowledge, he's like a modern-day Saul of Tarsus turned to Paul the Apostle. He's just like Paul. He's got a really prolific writing ministry. Pray for him. So it was not Satan's will that... Paul would be an apostle. It wasn't Satan appointed. Think about that too. But it was, quote, through the will of God. It wasn't by self. It wasn't by committee. It wasn't by Paul. It wasn't by Satan. Who else could it be from? From God. Just like your calling. Your calling is through the will of God. Only. How do you discover that? And do it. Well, you need to surrender your will to his. Amen? And again, that's why God brought you in. Yes, to learn about Jesus. Yes, to learn the Bible as we teach and preach God willing through the entire Bible. The bigger picture reason why he brought you into the church, Jesus says, make disciples. Followers of Christ. It says, teaching them to observe. Not just teaching them. Teaching them to observe. Be a doer of the word. Obey what you read. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we must teach and preach all the Bible, all scripture. Amen? That's why God brought you in, to get disciples. 
So Paul typically opens up most of his letters this way. He's declaring his apostleship. And I'm going to share with you some of the scriptures. I'm taking a little longer here than I wanted to. He's sharing these things. I, I just did a culmination of much of his scripture, really looking at all the opening of the books appointed to him. Here's what he says at the opening of, what, how many? I think it's eight total, including this book, 1 Corinthians. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Notice again, called to be an apostle. It's not just apostle. You hear someone today, they call themselves apostle, or I'm prophet so-and-so. Oh, who called you? Oh, well, they voted. Okay, no, you need to be called to be an apostle. Who called you? It's not a vote. It's not a committee. It's got to be from God. Second Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. If you read this, we've got to take, take special care and attention to how he's writing here. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Galatians, well, that's the next book. Galatians 1. Here's what it says as he opens that one. Paul, an apostle. Notice he puts here, not from men, nor through men. Why? That was happening back then, wasn't it? Yes. Still happens today. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Continuing on, that's just slide one of two. Here's the second slide. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He writes it again. Does he have a stuttering problem? Does he got to just keep mentioning it? No. He had to go and declare this. Remember the book of Acts, chapter 1? Remember when we went through the book of Acts? You've got Peter, before being filled with the Spirit, on chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they gathered the people together. They're all waiting in the upper room, praying, because Jesus said, not many days from now, Acts 1, verse 8, you shall receive what? Dunamis, power. He said what? In Luke, as well as Acts, one passage, stay, wait. Anybody here have a dog? And you, you train them to sit. Get them to sit for hours, if not days. <laughs> Not going to work, right? <laughs> we kind of get antsy. Kind of like how it was. Peter gets up in Acts chapter 1 before being filled with the Spirit, though. Oh, let's put people together. Put people together. There's two guys. Let's cast lots to see who's going to be the 12th and final. They knew there's going to be a 12th one, as Scripture declared. Even quote Scripture. Using it out of context, though. Cast lots. It's got to fall to one of the two. Who did it fall to? A guy named Matthias. You never hear about him again. You don't see and hear the fruits that should come out of apostleship, church planting, etc. You don't see that. And so Acts chapter 1, Peter was there. Should not have, I'm sure after that, I was like, oops. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came down upon him as well as the others in the upper room. And now what? Now they're empowered with the Spirit. They have spiritual gifts emanating forth. And now when Peter opens his mouth, quoting scripture, he's quoting it in context. And then what happens as a result? Hearts are touched. People get saved. There's a church that's kind of instantaneously birthed. That's Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Now what happens as a result of that is later on, Paul is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not by the will of man. And he had to declare his apostleship. And could you imagine others like, no, we have the last apostle. You're not an apostle. So places where he would go, he was rejected. He was hated. 
Can that happen in the church today, even if mankind goofs it up? Yeah, that can happen. And and again, just kind of tapping into our study time when we went through the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We've got to be careful. Uh, Abram and Sarah, they were told by God that they would have a son. God's just taking too long. Here, Abraham, why don't you go sleep with my handmaid? Listen, that's not good marriage advice. (laughs) And then what happened? Well, then they had a son. What was his name? Ishmael. So God doesn't recognize something that's birthed through you with your will, your flesh. And then later on, he tells Abraham in Genesis, take now your son, your only son whom you love. Who was that? Isaac, the child of promise. There's a picture of Yeshua, Jesus. God only recognized Isaac. But Abraham, through his DNA, he had a physical son that was actually birthed before. God did not recognize the child of the flesh. And listen, he will not recognize a work that you do that's self-willed or of yourself done through your flesh. He'll only recognize something that he declares that you do in obedience to him, empowered by his spirit. That's what he recognizes. All right, so you can read these later on. Let's just continue on. Now, verse 2, here's what it says. After Paul opens up, he tells us again who he is who his calling is from, how he was called, and it's through the will of God. Look at verse 2. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. I'm going to show you a little map here, because many of us today, we don't know where Corinth might be. Corinth, you might see this here and go, oh, that looks like it's in Europe, what we call Europe today. I have it circled here. Corinth, we're not going to go in depth and detail here, but Corinth was known for many things, kind of like New York City or many big cities. Some compare it to New York City today or even Los Angeles. It was known for things like material wealth. It was a business center. They were known for sports. Some say it was second to the athletics of like the, the Greece world. Uh, or even in Rome. Drunkenness, they were known for. And these kind of things are addressed. Sexual immorality, we're going to see that addressed quite a bit. And I just put here, similar to New York City, as well as many other large cities in America. So that's where it was located. Uh, We find in Acts chapter 18, if you're taking notes, that Paul was in Corinth about one and a half years, about 18 months. He planted this church. Paul would have known the people in this church personally. So he's not just writing to, hey, you guys over there in this region. He would have known these people personally. He writes, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified, it means to be set apart. Now, we're set apart from the world for God's usage and God's usage alone. Amen? That's why I I say to you guys and pray for the folks that are just newly signing up to serve. Pray how you can serve God. How are you going to prove to yourself and the world and the church and even to God that you're set apart from the world only for God to use. And maybe all your time, talent, and treasures used in the world. Okay, You might be called out like how the Holy Spirit called me. Prove it. You believe the Bible? Prove it. Be a doer of the word, like James says. Right? Be a doer of the word. So you're set apart. Now, there's a point in him writing all this before he starts exhorting them. You are set apart from the world. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is who you are. Being in Christ Jesus is what sets us apart from everyone else in the world who's not in Christ Jesus. 
This is why if you're like me, you might go to your workplace or with your friends or in school or wherever you are, and you want to have koinonia, fellowship with others. Maybe people in your family that call themselves Christians. You start talking about God and Jesus and the Bible, and they're like, you know, doing all these weird things. You're like, that's not me, because I'm not in Christ Jesus. That's of man. That's in the world. And it's hard to have koinonia or fellowship with them, right? But who you are in Christ Jesus, not in a denomination, not even in this local church, but in the body of Christ, the church global, that's who you are. It's in Christ Jesus. And only in Christ Jesus can you have true what we call fellowship. What do I do when I'm with others, even people that are backslidden Christians? Hey, you're in ministry mode. You're either in ministry mode or fellowship mode. I feel like I've got to put up my guard all the time. Anybody feel like that? Yeah, that's how it was for Paul as well as for you and I today. So you're called to be saints. Called to be saints? What? The word for saints can mean most holy thing. So they, these Christians at Corinth as well as you and I, were called to be a most holy thing. That's what God calls you to be, a most holy thing. And of course, it's for God. Now, as we look at this, before we start to get into the things that Paul is going to start listing now for 11 chapters, 11 chapters, 1 Corinthians is a corrective book. Corrective book. So some of you guys might think, oh, I picked the wrong day to come to church. <laughs> God wants to both correct you as well as direct you. Amen? Don't come to God just looking for a direction. God, what do I do? What are my choices? Who should I marry? Where should I go? What school should I go to? How much money should I spend? You're asking for direction. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's going to show you you first, where you need to confess and repent first. Amen? He'll use his word. It's in that order. Read it. Your word is a lamp to my feet. You're going to show me, enlighten me, so that it could be a light to my path. Second, understand that. Don't just look for direction. Look for his correction. So in the logical sense, it does make sense for Paul to tell the Christians who they are first called to be. You're in Christ. Because in this letter, he's going to tell Christians to do things like repent from sexual immorality. Repent from this immorality, that one. There's so many things that the the worldly people in Corinth, just like how it is in New York City and around the world today, they allowed themselves to to get stained, so to speak. So you come to Christ just as you are, but he ain't going to leave you as you were. Amen? You come to Christ, he's going to clean you up. Now, how many of you guys could testify? Oh, you love that cleaning. I love it. I ain't who I used to be. Praise him, right? And you need to encourage others with that by sharing your story. Tell them about that. Because you're going to be people that they meet you who you are today, but they don't see who you used to be. And you might see someone years a step ahead. Or in some cases, maybe a year, five years, or ten years ahead. Who knows? And you need to encourage them and share your story. Because they see who you are now and they go, I can never be there. Well, you don't know who I used to be. And that work in progress, I'm his workmanship. He's been doing a work in my life, good Lord, for years. <laughs> right? How many of you, you know he's been doing that work for years, if maybe not decades, right, or months, or however long. Allow him to keep doing that work. Let's continue on. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched 
in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Notice the enriching. Okay, for the for you prosperity seekers. It doesn't say enriched in gold and silver and all kinds of money in your bank account booming and blowing up big. No, enriched in everything by him and what? Utterance. He helps you to think and to speak in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. This word for gift, this is the word charisma. It's the word that denotes spiritual gifts. It's literally the gift of divine grace. That you come short in no charisma, no spiritual gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. So he's understanding. Now he's writing to them. Tells them who they are first in Christ. You are separated. You are sanctified by the world. Stop being worldly. Make sense? You guys that are parents, you understand that, right? Knock it off. (laughs) Mom, Dad, how come you keep saying that? Well, I'm going to keep telling you until you do it, right? Knock it off. Okay? So this is, (laughs) yep, (laughs) kind of how it is. (laughs) That you all speak the same. So there was a disunity. He's trying to get them. Hey, you're all one in Christ Jesus. You need to be unified. You all speak the same thing. And then there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Notice this in 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18. I'm going to display it here too. I'm going to display it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I remember as a kid, as a young Christian, when I started to listen to church songs, I was sitting there like, why is it we're always talking about or singing about blood and Jesus dying? I didn't understand. I may not have been born again at the time. It just... That's weird. We're always singing about the blood of Jesus. Like, you know, you know the songs, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Like, that was so weird to me. I probably wasn't saved, I guess. I'm not sure. But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. You may have been like that before. And then you get saved, you're like, oh, oh now I love that song, The, the Rugged Cross. <laughs> right? Is that any of you? Or you get saved and later on you're like, oh. Now this is very personal and near and dear to my heart. And it should be for us here. Why? This is the namesake of this church. And let me just tell you briefly how this passage God used to inspire and help me along his path. 
I remember listening to, it was either a message or I believe maybe an interview of Billy Graham later in life, where he was asked, if you can go back and change things, like what would you do different? And I remember him saying that I would preach on the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus more. Why? Because that's where the power is. And that really burned in my heart. And Billy Graham mentioned about that. And then I started on this journey. It was just the Lord, the Lord's Spirit leading me, where I started studying in Torah, in the Old Testament, more and more of how the Old Testament altar was a picture of the New Testament cross of Christ. That was a place of bloodiness. Uh, it was a very bloody place, a place of offering. Sacrifices were killed there on the north side of the altar. A very bloody place. Not very sanitary, but think about that. And it was a foreshadowing of the cross of Christ, the place where your sins were judged, and the fires that were there on the altar were seen as like God consuming the sacrifice. Your sins were judged there. And you, as a, a sinner, you came, you, it was public confession. You would confess your sins. You, you would commute your sins over. You put your hands on the head of the animal. I imagine myself like looking into the eyes of Fluffy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did one sin, and you've got to die. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. And then it would be cut, bled, the animal would be placed on uh, the altar. It's a picture of Jesus, who didn't deserve to die. Perfect. You did one sin. Only one sin. Not even a willful sin, but unbeknownst to you. And then God's word came to your memory. Like, oh, I committed a sin. Or you read about it, or someone tells you. Oh. There's that contrite heart. Someone's got to die now. Well, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus, Messiah, dying on the cross as your final and only sin sacrifice. So the cross. This is how our church got its name, at the cross. At the cross. So I remember hearing that about Billy Graham sharing about the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus. It needs to be preached more. And then as years went on, I started hearing about churches and even denominations and abominations Doing things like removing the cross. Why? Because it's offensive to people. I'm like, dude, it's there. Verse 18, it's foolishness to those that are perishing. You don't want to conform to the world. You just need to preach God's word boldly. Amen? Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, it's going to offend people. You don't talk about people dying. They don't want to hear that. Again, remember, send them out with a smile. That's horrible. So the cross speaks of where Jesus Christ made atonement for your sins and the sins of the world. Where you, atonement, you were at one with the Father through the cross of Christ. The cross is the place where Jesus was enslaved to the point of death so that you would have freedom. The cross. The cross is the place where Jesus died as your final and only sin sacrifice but where you were given eternal life. He died so that you could have eternal life. The cross needs to be preached about more. The cross is a place where God proves his love, his grace, and his mercy. The one and only place I could see right now that I could even preach and share with people, and you and I can as well, the person that says, no, God doesn't love me, or nobody loves me, went him to the cross of Christ. It's the one place in all of history where for every human being alive today, you could say, God proves his love to you. God proves his mercy to you. You deserved it, but he had mercy on you. Instead of you going to the cross, he sent his son to take your place. Like, what? That's crazy. That's radical. And people don't believe it. We need to share that. And where God also not just had love and grace, 
mercy with you as well as me. The cross is the place where Jesus, the very one who created you, died as your king. He died as your great high priest and your savior. But where you and I were transformed from a rebellious, disobedient, and ungodly person into his glorious servant and worshiper. Now I don't complain about why we sing about the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ. Now I realize, wow, there is power, God's power in the cross. So in this church, and it really should be for every church, we need to preach the cross of Christ boldly, amen? And not just me in this pulpit, it needs to be you, wherever God sends you around the globe. It needs to be preached boldly, unashamedly, and nonstop. And listen, as we go into 2024 even more, you're going to even hear of others. This is not a prophecy from me. This is already declared and prophesied in God's word. There's going to be a great apostasy. People that have truth, like the word of truth, the Bible, but they apostatize. It's as if they throw away their Bibles. Like, oh, the apostle's going to speak. I, I don't need it. He's not even having a Bible. He doesn't even preach God's word. Why do I need it? That's happening today and happening more and more as God prophesies. But you and I must be preachers of truth. Amen? Please stand with me. We're going to close with a word of prayer. And if you're able to please stay with us, we're going to have our our time where we can fellowship with food. Thank you for joining us for this time as we kicked off this book. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for your son, the lamb slain for the foundation of the world. You know, you knew that your son, your only begotten son, Jesus, would have to leave heaven, put on a body of flesh. He was a man, a Messiah, on a mission to go to a cross to die for us. There's power in the cross of Christ. And as he shed his blood, Lord, we thank you for people like Billy Graham that have gone before us. Help us to preach your word boldly, unashamedly, and nonstop. Help us, Lord, in this church, even as our name declares, at the cross. That's where you paid for our sins. You didn't die on the cross and then go into hell completing the work for our salvation. It was done. You said, it is finished. We just have to believe and receive that and share that with the world. But Father, we ask for your empowerment. Empower us in this fellowship that we can continue to teach and preach through your entire word. Help us, Lord, as we continue this journey now through this book that we call First Corinthians. Empower us, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.